Hey all you National Park nerds, this is You're Gonna Die Out There, bonus episode. Welcome back, nature nerds. It's uh, Megan and Jen here for your bonus Patreon episode of June. The June episode, which is coming out the first week of July because there's been a lot of things going on. A lot of things going on. Number one on the list of things going on is that Italy beat Belgium in the World Cup to get to the finals. I mean, I'm not following at all, but you told me about it today. Uh, Well, because, you know, I recently discovered that I'm Italian and my Italian dad wrote to me wearing his Italia... regalia soccer uh like and let's just make it clear that he is first generation italian first generation italian american you are second generation that is correct yes so which is amazing yeah and uh i did paint my nails in the colors of the italia football team guys it was really cool pretty glorious and i think that's what pushed them over the edge to get into the finals Pretty sure your nails were the thing. Yeah, definitely. They caught wind of that and they're like, well, we got to do this We got to do now. this. You know what? We have a new Italian on our hands here. We got to go all out. We got to win it for her. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> and then you have a new bathroom in your house, which is why things have been Look, so there's difficult some, this week. There are some renovations happening mm-hmm. and there's a contractor that takes a nap on my couch every day and I got to... I love it. I got to creepily take a picture of him every day so we can do a collage at the end of all the re- renovations. Yeah, I've seen two photos so far. The yeah. First, I mean, and I love how he sleeps the same way every day, like arms up above his head, <laughs> sitting in the same spot on your couch. He it's just sits down great. and he passes out. It's like <laughs> siesta and then he wakes up. I mean, he does a great job. So, I mean, no complaints. I'm like, dude, have your nap. It's all good. Yeah. I feel that. <laughs> Yeah, maybe he does a great job because he takes a nap. I feel like we all need to do that. I think Mm -hmm. it's something we should start. Absolutely. Yeah, there's been a lot of renovations and there's like some new family came to stay with us. So there's been Mm -hmm. a lot of moving things around the house. Anyway, um, lots happening at my house. So it's been uh, difficult to find a time to sit down and research my stories. I mean, research is important. Hours and hours upon hours of research, guys. I mean, <laughs> let me tell you, it's a thing. I apologize. But we're happy to be here with our June bonus episode. I think you guys will like the story. But before we get into it, Megan. You want some nature news? Can I get some uh, science news? Funny because you totally sent it to me. So there's that. But <laughs> <laughs> I love that you found it because I was really struggling. I was really struggling. Everything was kind of depressing in the in the science world, just like the coronavirus, whatever Delta variant and, you know, climate change oh, yeah. and all the things. It's just and like, like a like, bunch yeah. of downers. But this one is cool because it relates to one of your stories. It does. Yeah. So this is about butterflies. Uh, the title of this article is Butterflies Regularly Cross the Sahara in Longest Known Insect Migration. The Sahara. Sahara. So Did we talk about that in that episode? Do you say Sahara or Sahara? I say Sahara. You say Sahara, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That was our also Italian uh, based story of Mauro Prosperi. I know I talk about him like every episode. I know, but Mauro. He's, he's so cool. So this is about the farfalle or butterfly. In Italian. The painted lady butterfly, uh, which is Vanessa Cardui. What? That's the scientific that name. That is so bougie. Like both names. I know, right? Are so like fancy. They have been shown for the first time to be capable of making 12,000 to 14,000 kilometer round trips. It is the longest insect migration known so far. Part of that trip is over the Sahara. This find is kind of cool because it helps scientists understand about how insects, uh, especially pollinators and even pests, and how diseases get moved around, how they can move things, like how they spread throughout. Oh, right, right, right. Tom Oliver, he's a professor and ecologist at University of Reading. And he's the co-author of the study. He said, quote, we know that the number of painted lady butterflies in Europe varies wildly, sometimes with 100 times more from one year to the next. However, the conditions that caused this were unknown. And the suggestion the butterflies could cross the Sahara Desert and oceans to reach Europe was not proven. This research shows this unlikely journey is possible and that certain climate conditions leading up to the migration season have a big influence on the numbers that make it. 
So I guess maybe maybe climate is playing a role in Mm -hmm. them being able to travel so far. So this could help predict movements of other insects, including pests or like invasive Mm -hmm. insects. So just like how climate change is changing, like the altitude to which mosquitoes can get to now, Mm -hmm. like this might be another indication of how climate change is going to be reshaping how insects travel and how invasive insects get from one place to another. Like bees. Like bees. Yeah. Murder wasps. Murder Murder wasps. Murder Uh, hornets. Whatever they're called. And uh, what were those tarantula hawks? They're really beautiful little butterflies. Yeah, they are very beautiful. They look kind of like a monarch with like a little bit of a moth in the middle. You know, like they're kind of fuzzy looking. Mm -hmm. But they're cute. They're cute. They're cute little butterflies. I just think it's amazing that they can make it that far over the Sahara in that heat. Yeah. That's that's interesting. And you know, that story, um, and I didn't send it to you for this reason, but it is nice how it fits into my story today because I'm going to be talking about a desert area, but in the US. Cool. If you're ready, we'll just uh, jump right in. I'm super ready. Let's, let's do it. Okay. So I'm actually going to take us... And we're going to jaunt on back over to California to the Joshua Tree National Park. Have you been there? I have never been there. I've always wanted to go there, but I feel like I'm not cool enough. You know what I mean? No, I don't. Oh, well, I, I feel like people who go to Joshua Tree are just like super cool people. No, everybody can go there. Oh, well, that's good. It doesn't matter, Megan. You don't have to be cool <laughs> to go to Joshua Tree National Park. I don't have you enough You are Patagonia accepted equipment. in any park. No, because there's just like quick any day park. hikes there. That's true. You can go camping there. I'll tell you all about it. But let me just tell you, I stopped there once and it was so quick. It was like... We're at Joshua Tree National Park and we jumped out and we were like, there's a Joshua Tree and took a picture and jumped back in the car. (laughs) And it was a really long time ago on a drive. We were kind of doing like a cross country thing and drove Mm -hmm. through that area. So I don't feel like I fully experienced it, but officially, I guess on the books, I've been there. Okay, this is going to sound really stupid. There are Joshua Trees? Yes, just like the U2 album. So for those of you like Megan who aren't familiar with Joshua Tree National Park, I'm going to give you a little bit of infos. It's located in southeastern California, just east of Los Angeles and near Palm Springs. Hmm. Which have you ever driven by Palm Springs? I have. super random. I have never, but I did watch the movie Palm Springs (laughs) on Hulu and it was great. I did not watch that movie. I don't even know what it's about. It's so good. It's about time travel. You should watch it. It's very funny. Andy Samberg. I love him. Kind of like my number one celebrity crush. What's his name? Andy Samberg. He was in SNL. He did Dick in a Box with Justin Timberlake. We're on a boat. The Lonely Island. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And he's in that series, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He has a very boyish face. I love him. Yeah. Yeah, I was devastated to find out that he was married. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. There's more fish in the sea. Are there? There are in Montana. Nine to one. Just call Victoria and be like, look. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we talk about Victoria on our regular episode. Yes. Our non-patron. Yeah, Victoria Knits YouTube. Check it out. Uh, Palm Springs. I just remember when I drove through that there's just a bazillion windmills. It is named after the Joshua trees. Their scientific name is Yucca brevifolia. And they're native to the Mojave Desert. Sorry, brevifolia makes me think that they lose their leaves or their leaves don't stay on very long or something no they're evergreens oh so they stay on all the time that's weird yeah they're weird they're different the joshua tree national park was declared a national monument in 1936 but redesignated as a national park in 1994 when the U.S. Congress passed the California Desert Protection Act. The Joshua Tree National Park it encompasses a total of 790,636 acres. That's over 1,200 square miles for the rest of the world. That's 3,200 kilometers, square kilometers. So slightly larger, if you kind of look at this is for people from the U.S. or wherever if you're familiar with the states, it's slightly larger than the state of Rhode Island. Which is small. Small, In but terms big. of states but big yeah. yeah i once knew a guy from rhode island i mean it's not a joke I'm, i actually went, did know a dude from rhode island i he went was to rhode weird. island <laughs> i was there randomly i think i flew in there and then i drove to boston or something what i can say about people from rhode island is that they're really from rhode island you know what i mean there's like a lot of pride there <laughs> yeah it's like it's like a thing like delaware it's a thing yeah, yeah. The park itself includes 430 acres. So 430 acres of that, Mm -hmm. which is over half, is designated wilderness. Oh, wow. That's like a thing. That means that you don't mess around in that area. Like you really can't do anything. You can't cut trails. You um, Like you can't drive over it. Mm Mm-hmm. Designated wilderness is a really strict designation. A legal designation. A legal designation that you cannot mess around. The park includes parts of two deserts. 
which so it spans across the San Bernardino and Riverside counties. Each has its own ecosystem and characteristics that are kind of determined mostly by the elevation. Okay. The higher Mojave Desert and the lower Colorado Desert. Hey, Those are the two deserts. The Mojave Desert. Mojave. We learned about that in the episode with uh, Norman Olestad. That's right. Because it was northeast of the San Gabriel Mountains. Is that where the San Damas research is? <laughs> San Damas. The little San Bernardino Mountains traverse the southwest edge of the park. Originally, like way, way, way long time ago, we're talking like 8,000, 4,000 BCE, the indigenous people People were called the Pinto, P-I-N-T-O people. They're the earliest known inhabitants of the area, and they lived and hunted there. That's cool. Later residents included the Serrano, the Cahila, and there's also the Chemehuevi people. I think I just murdered all of those, but I did my best. All three of those uh, tribes, I guess indigenous people, they lived at some time in small villages near water. Mm -hmm. of course yeah and they were hunter gatherers they subsisted on plant foods and small game amphibians and reptiles and then later a fourth group the mojaves used the local resources when they traveled along trails between the colorado river and the pacific coast once we get into the 21st century there was a small number of all four of those people living in the region near and around the park there was also the 29 palms band of missions indians which is what it's called so i don't know if they changed that that or they left it but it's the descendants of those people and they own a reservation in 29 palms okay i mean fun fact my brother did mention to me once that there are some uh, indigenous peoples who prefer to be called indian Mm -hmm. or native american because it's a legal designation in some some documents from way back. Well, it's like the, the Indian Bureau of Affairs, right? Right, yeah. Until those things are changed, it's like, this is our legal designation. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure we don't lose. By changing the name. The, yeah, by changing the name. Yeah. So, just interesting. The process. By 1823, um, that's the year that Mexico was independent from Spain and the Mexican expedition from Los Angeles. They explored as far east as the Eagle Mountains, and that's what later became the park. A couple of years later, Jedediah Smith... <laughs> <laughs> oh wait is he a mormon i think I is that know. offensive jedediah i had a i had a cat named jedediah i feel like i do that we about called you. him jed yeah i just thought it was funny jedediah he was just so like was he fat grumpy and fat i love it anyway this guy led a group of fur trappers and explorers nice along the Mojave Trail and, you know, and other people did. Two, a couple of decades after that, the U.S. defeated Mexico in the Mexico or Mexican-American War. That was mm-hmm. 1846 to 48. And they took over um, about half of Mexico's original territory, including California and the future park. 1870s and on, that's when white settlers began bringing their cattle in and grazing on the you know, grasses around the park. There were different gangs of like cattle rustlers and people that would hide cattle in those areas because they would like, you know, it's like a thing back then. They would like steal cattle and then hide in places. And yeah, so you'll find all these like wells and areas they call tanks where they would have rainwater catchments. Mm -hmm. And they actually still have names like White Tank and Barker Dam. So they made like different areas that are still existing today. That's crazy. So they could have water for their cattle as they hid them in the middle of the desert. So in 1900, this guy, C.O. Barker, he was a miner and a cattleman, and he built he built the Barker Dam. It was later kind of improved by this other guy, Bill Keys. All right, I don't Bill. know why his, oh, William Bill, but they called him Bill, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always got to go by William. That name sounds really familiar. William, William Bill, Bill Keys. He's a rancher. So the grazing continued in the park until 1945. So even oh. after it was established as a national monument. But that Barker Dam was added to the National Register for Historic Places in 1975. So between the late 1800s and around 1940, there were a bunch of mines that were, or areas that were being mined. There was one that was called the Lost Horse Mine, and it produced gold and silver worth about $5 million in today's currency. Wow. Some other mines, there's a lot of information about different mines around there, but another one, a lot of them were mined for copper, zinc, and iron. So this is really 
kind of an interesting and I I've heard of this woman but um, I like that we're kind of talking about influential women a lot August 10th 1936 Minerva Hoyt and some others founded the International Desert Conservation League so her and some others persuaded the state and federal governments to protect the area so at that time it was um, President Franklin D. Roosevelt and he used 1906 Antiquities Act to establish the Joshua Tree National Monument protecting at that time 825 thousand acres so it was more actually but in 1950 the park was reduced 290 acres because they wanted to open it up for more mining doesn't oh. that sound so familiar that sounds little... super familiar mm-hmm. then the monument was redesignated as a park like i said in 1994 by the desert protection act and it also when that happened it added back 234,000 acres so anyway it's kind of gotten bigger and smaller over the years and changed its designation Mm -hmm. but in 2019 they added another 4,500 acres under a bill that was by John Dingle Jr., which his name sounds, the Conservation Management Recreation Act. A little bit about Minerva Hoyt, just because I think she's cool. She was born in 1866, died in 1945. So she was actually from the East Coast, but she moved to California and became an activist. And she was working really hard. She fell in love with the desert and worked really hard to preserve the California desert areas. And she was critical in getting all these parks established. She was actually, sorry, she can come from the East Coast. She was born on a Mississippi plantation. Oh. And later moved to the East Coast. Her husband was a physician. And then that's when they moved to California in 1897. And she became an activist. And that's where she put all her time and energy, which I think is really cool. Especially that she came from a plantation. I hope that she was just like, get me the F out of here. We can, yeah, we can only. We can only speculate. I haven't. I'm sure there's there's probably a lot more information on her, but I just did a quick read of her. But if you know anything, let us know. Obviously, as we know, um, but, you know, we have other listeners that are not from the U.S. and they may not know. A lot of tourists go to Joshua Tree National Park. It's like a thing. If you're really into that desert beauty kind of thing, you know, and it is, it's beautiful. It's one of those places where you want to go and stargaze. Like you'll see every star. Right. It's known for that. It's got this unique habitat with these Joshua trees. It ranges though. In in the winter months, it can get as cold as um, 35 degrees Fahrenheit. That's one degrees Celsius. That's cold. And all the way up to over 100 degrees Fahrenheit or in the late 30s or 40 degrees Celsius in the summer, which is June through August. They also go there for the cool rock formations and for hiking. So the park's oldest rocks is called the Pinto Nice or G. N-E-I-S-S. Someday your son will know all these things because he's the one to be a geologist. That's true. And so probably he'll go there and he can tell us all the things. He's super into rocks. But yeah, the oldest rock is 1.7 billion years old. That's a damn old rock. Can you touch it? (laughs) (laughs) And there are six blocks of mountains, five of which are the Little San Bernardino, Hexi, Pinto, Cottonwood, and Eagle. And those Mm. are like run across that transverse ranges. So I think it's hard if you're not from that area or looking at a map. But anyway, just to know that there's some kind of like mountain ranges in there. I wonder if they're like fault block mountains like how the San Gabriels are. I think part of it is Mm -hmm. there was a lot. And because you went into a lot of mountain stuff, I didn't go into it on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you guys should have already learned that by now. You guys are like Listen, expert mountain are experts. Are you taking notes? We expect that. Pop quiz, everyone. So camping. People love to go camping there. There's nine campgrounds in the park hmm. for you to choose from. And a bunch of hiking trails, Megan. There's one that's only like a mile long. Oh, I could do that. You can do that. And it goes through Hidden Valley, like ranch. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> go, get your, go get your dressing. Is that where... <laughs> ranch dressing is made it is you'll find like the ranch dressing trees you know what you you just squeeze the sap and put it on your salad (laughs) just ranch dressing that sounds disgusting (laughs) it's all in the summer it's really hot it's just like the trees are like leaking ranch this is gross it's all like coagulated oh flies that's disgusting don't go there you guys i'm just kidding no so the one mile but you have to hike a mile to get your salad dressing and then but there's also longer trails which you probably wouldn't opt for that go up to 35 miles through like california riding and hiking trails i think people can ride horses or whatever through there i wonder if you could ride bikes i'm not sure i didn't look at all the rules that but probably in some of those designated wilderness areas you may not be able to they're roller skating trails (laughs) 
<laughs> there's probably not. You could try. You'd be like, oh, this is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Just falling. Just falling everywhere. Let's talk about the Joshua tree itself. Yes, I am super interested in this tree yes. now. Joshua trees are actually the world's largest yucca. And they're sometimes called yucca palms, tree yuccas, or the palm tree yuccas. It also um, bears the Spanish name, Azote de Desierto. That was beautiful. Thank you. I took Spanish and I am terrible. Anyway, <laughs> but it also just means desert dagger. Oh. Because they look a little pointy like the leaves on it. The name Joshua Tree is commonly said to have been given to by a group of Mormon settlers. Oh. There's where Jedediah comes in. Crossing the Mojave Desert in the mid-19th century. Because it's so unique to that area that it helps helped them know where they were in the desert. And the unique shape of the tree reminded them of some biblical story in which Joshua keeps his hands reached out for an extended period of time to guide the Israelites in their conquest of Canaan. Also, it has like shaggy leaves and they provide like an appearance of a beard. Joshua trees aren't aren't actually trees, mm. but they are trees, but they're not trees because they're actually succulents. A type of plant that stores water. Okay, that's cool. They're desert plants. They look like trees because they're they're big, right? They're big. They get yeah. really big. They're native to the southwestern U.S., like Arizona, California, Nevada, Utah, and northwestern Mexico. And that range mostly coincides with the Mojave Desert mm. geographical area. So it's considered one of the major indicator species for the desert. There. Oh, I didn't know that. That's and cool. it also occurs at elevations, certain elevations from 400 to 1800 meters or 1300 to 6000 feet. Could they be considered an indicator species for climate change? Yes, and we'll get to that. Oh my God. So most of them are found within the boundary of the Joshua Tree National Park. Mm-hmm. That makes so, sense. Yeah. <laughs> and the oldest one is estimated to be approximately a thousand years old. Wait, what? Yeah, they think that's kind of an outlier because they usually live to be about 500, but they're slow growing. So they only add about two to three inches a year. So it takes about 50 or 60 years for them to reach their full height. Because they're like in the desert, limited resources. They provide critical food and habitat to certain animals, particularly the yucca moths. They collect the tree's pollen and lay their eggs in the flowers. And also the caterpillars of the yucca moth eat the tree seeds. There's a symbiotic relationship there because without the moths, the trees would have a harder time pollinating, you know, reproducing right, yeah. because they're, po- they're essentially pollinating for them. Recent studies, and this is what you're talking about, show that they're dying off because of hotter, drier conditions. Um, so fewer of the younger trees can become established. Higher elevations where the Joshua trees might survive, temperatures are increasing mm-hmm. and it's becoming drier. Because of increasing temperatures and the drying conditions, they're at mm-hmm. risk of fire because there's a lot of invasive, not you know, non-native grasses everywhere. Only 0.02% of the tree's current habitat in the Joshua Tree National Park would remain viable as hotter and drier conditions are killing off Joshua trees. That's like nothing. That's nothing. In 2020, there was a fire. It was called the Dome Fire. It burned through more than 43,000 acres. It went through some of the, I remember this, some of the densest old growth Joshua Tree forests in the Mojave. That's really sad. So now Joshua trees are protected by the state of California as a candidate for listing as an endangered species, but it's not there yet and I don't think they have federal protection oh no which is weird that is weird I kept looking it up I'm like really really I checked the IUCN it's not there not even listed that's kind of crazy yeah especially since like it, it, it like the future of the tree is kind of already known based on the, yeah it's losing yeah. all this that seems really strange well it makes me think of out here we have um the a cycad that's listed mm-hmm. because it's dying from this scale mm-hmm. and we know that over time they're going to die they're going to decline to the point of extinction yeah i mean if nothing's done but so they were listed based on that this seems the same to me yeah totally so other species found in the park include there's over 750 species of vascular plants in the park and so right now megan i'm gonna go through those perfect i'm really ready hold on let me get my composition notebook okay so i can write down i'm gonna give the genus and species perfect perfect all 750 Are you guys ready? ready? Yeah, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) And go. And moving on. There's also (laughs) over 250 species of birds recorded also. If you'd like to stay after class, I can provide that. They're mostly migratory. And I just threw some in that just as examples, there's the red-tailed hawk, the Cooper's hawk. So we got some raptorists going out there (laughs) (laughs) doing their job, raptoring. 
but we got some uh, a greater Roadrunner. And I have, when I was driving through Arizona, I did see some Roadrunners. They're super cute. That's cool. Um, barn Owls, Great Horned Owls, Ooh. Anna's, Hummingbird, Ladder-Backed Woodpecker, American Kestrel, Loggerhead Shrike, and so many more. That's just like a little so many sampling. Little, 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 like from was Botanica? It, Is it was, that... No, I actually got this from the Park Service site. Oh, there we go. But there's like a little tray of samples yeah that's nice just I so like you that. can have like but there's a bunch like obviously there's a lot uh resident mammals include the southern mule deer the merns coyote i think that was the one i couldn't say the name of in the norm- yeah yeah it's like Mer- m-e-a-r-n-s yeah Got it merns merns yeah merns that's so funny merns <laughs> <laughs> Gray fox, desert kit fox. I'm sure a lot of these are the same. Bobcat, mm-hmm. big brown bat, canyon bat. There's a bunch of bats. I didn't Ooh. name all the bats because yeah. there's a lot. Desert black-tailed jackrabbit, Ooh. the desert cottontail, cactus deer mouse, and a shit ton of mice and rats. Shrews and shit. Yeah, all yeah. the all of them. Canyon deer mouse, desert wood rat, um, Mojave pocket gopher. Just sounds so cute. That sounds the like... The Coachella like pocket just... gopher just makes me think he's just jamming. And he's wait, wait. Stoned as hell. A Coachella pocket gopher? It's mm-hmm. like it's like the gopher you take with you to Coachella? Yeah. And he's just, he's just like... I mean, we're never cool dude, enough to go to Coachella, but... No, but he is. The desert kangaroo rat also sounds cute. California ground squirrels and the dusky chipmunk. I just like the name. So I yeah. threw... That was my sampling of... Man, but there's a lot more. That's amazing. You can go to the National Park Service site to get the full list. And then some reptiles. There's one tortoise. Yes. Mojave Desert Tortoise. Oh. Yeah, Are they endangered? Go. I just think about go- the gopher tortoise in Georgia. I'm I not sure. There's 19 lizards and 28, I'm sorry, 26 snake species, including the rare desert patch nose snake and there's oh. some other like rare species but there's also seven species that are terrifying of uh rattlesnakes and oh. sidewinders perfect sidewinders they don't fuck around yeah you don't want to yeah you don't want that you don't want that coming at you all sideways you're like which way do you run it makes me think of like when cats get really angry and they kind of run at you sideways to <laughs> yeah, make themselves look the, bigger yeah <laughs> Oh, I love it. And then the insects. Are there mosquitoes? There. No, no mosquitoes. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, 75 species of butterflies. Oh. Yeah. Speaking of butterflies. Yeah. There's also a five inch giant hairy scorpion. It's got that going for you. There's black widow spiders. And there's also a four inch long tarantula. And you know what that means, Megan? No, thank you. Um, Where you find tarantulas. Tarantula that, hawks? You'll find the tarantula hawk, which is the most hurdy wasp there is, <laughs> according like to the Schmidt Sting Pain Index. That's exactly how we said it, too. This is really hurdy. This is the most hurdy wasp ever, ever made. <laughs> it's super hurdy. It's super the highest hurdy. on his scale. Wasn't it the one that he was like, I'm going to make this a five? It's like, this one goes to 11. <laughs> 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 Should have said that in the original. That was a missed opportunity, but I got it here. So thank you, Schmidt Steam Pain Index. That's a four. So now that you know everything you need to know about the Joshua Tree National Park. I'm super smart. Ready to plan your next camping trip or hiking trip there? I have to buy some... A bunch of Patagonia li- shit. Well, yeah, but it's all got to be in like that kind of peach color that everyone's <laughs> really into right now. And like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, uh, I hate peach colored things. Well, it's like a thing now, Jen. I'm telling you, there's like this whole group of influencers, these like internet, you know, like... Who are these people? Instagram influencers. They- and they wear, those, they wear those kind of like leathery hats. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, uh, and like they're, they're all kind the way of flowy hippie with like yeah. round sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. That's you know things just recycle. Yes, I'm pretty yes. sure I had round sunglasses at some point in the 90s when I had the Julia Roberts haircut, the short one that was oh actually my a mullet. God, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, that's it's like a thing. Like people are into that kind of earthy tones. I'm not doing it, Megan. No, absolutely. I don't care. Not. This is where you hit an age where you're like, you guys can all go f off. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna wear my comfy shoes and yeah. what I what I like, and I don't care if it's mom jeans from like 1984. I'm wearing it. It's happening. Deal with it. Like I said, now that you know everything you need to know to plan your next camping or hiking trip, and you're gonna either dress like you know an outdated mom like me, mm-hmm. or you're gonna dress like a cool Gen Z. Or, what are the new ones? What are the young people are they, called? Yeah, Gen Z. Are they Gen Z? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah if that. you want to dress like a Gen Z influencer. By all means, do whatever makes you happy. Be you. Be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Go out there. But make sure you survive, people. Yeah. Because I'm about to tell you a survival oh, story <laughs> that she almost didn't make it. And I think a lot of people have heard this story because it only happened in 2018. And it is crazy. Are you ready, Megan? I'm so ready. Buckle in. 
get your <laughs> get your uh, water because you're gonna start feeling thirsty. Have an empty bottle ready to catch that urine. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going there. It's happening. This story is happened in May of 2018 with New Zealand journalist Claire Nelson. She set off for a hike through the Joshua Tree National Park on May 22nd, the morning of. She wasn't actually even supposed to go to California. She was working and living in the UK. Um, she was just kind of like over it, kind of working jobs. And she needed to kind of get away and find her purpose. And hmm. she decided she was going to do some traveling and do travel writing. She's a, little... a journalist. Mm-hmm. I know. That's why I always wish I could write because I would think that would be so cool. So you could be like, you know, food blogging. I would love that. I would be the worst. I'd be like, that was good. That sucked. <laughs> You're like, I ate it in five seconds, but I still hated it. <laughs> I chugged that drink. I have no idea what it tasted like. I pounded it. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. The can crushed really nicely on my forehead. <laughs> I feel like we should we should explain <laughs> that one day we were sitting down getting ready for a podcast and I needed to caffeinate. And she drank a can of Celsius. <laughs> I drank a can of Celsius in like... Three gulps. Yeah. Maybe. Or yeah. two. <laughs> in your face. When I put the can down, you were like horrified. Like, what the fuck just like, happened? How did that... How can you? Because see, I drink those because they're pretty caffeinated. Mm-hmm. I'll drink one like throughout the entire day, like sipping on it. Right. You know, like <laughs> I've never seen somebody chug the drink. Mm-hmm. I was waiting for the can crush, <laughs> but it didn't happen. <laughs> so I think I was horrified and waiting for more. You're like, where is this going? And anyway. I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's do that. <laughs> She's like, I'm ready. And I was like, holy crap, I'm scared. <laughs> Anyway, she was doing, she was going to do like travel writing, travel, I don't know, blogging Blogging or whatever. Cool. She was going to blog. So she went to Canada and she was going there, but some friends of hers were uh, living in Southern California and they wanted to go do some traveling. I think they were going to Scotland and they were like, hey, can you come house sit for us and watch our kitty cats? She was like, yeah. Like I said, she was looking for, she wanted to change her life. She was burnt out. Um, she had been working as a magazine sub editor and it was a very high pressure job. Mm. And she said she felt anxious, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of anxiety. She felt lost. She wasn't doing what she felt like what she, yeah, what she wanted to do. In Canada, she kind of went, walked around Toronto. She checked everything out and she was having a good time. But then she had this opportunity to go to California. So she's like, awesome. So she was on a tourist visa. So she got one for the U.S., Mm-hmm. She even had insurance. I mean, she was very careful about oh, it. Wow. Like she had insurance in Canada and in the U.S. just in case. So she got there um, late, you know, at night. She said that she knew that she just wanted to like go hit the trails at the Joshua Tree National Park. She'd been there once before a few years earlier with but she'd gone with a bunch of friends so mm-hmm. they went as a group hike and she knew this one particular trail that she really wanted to try they had told her about this lost palms oasis it's like an in and out day hike it's over four miles each way it basically goes to this congregation of palms like that are kind of hidden in this deep valley hidden valley <laughs> <laughs> And so she decided to schedule it at some point while she was staying with them. So the night before she set off on her hike, she's like, okay, I'm going to get all my stuff together. It's just a day, a day hike. Go come back. She's like, she needs to have enough water for that day. She got her sunscreen together. Smart. So she had a hat. She had like walking sticks. I think if like maybe had some granola bar. Some snacky snacks. Some some snacks. That morning she drove out to the wilderness. It's about a six hour hike. And she stopped around 830 and spoke to one of the guides to get information for the route. So Mm. she would know. So she'd get it on her phone or whatever. And they said it's like a moderate hike. That sounds like kind of a pleasant day hike. I get it. Day hike, right. So she got on the trail. It was beautiful. Everything was perfect. She walked um, for about two miles. And then she realized like somewhere along the way, she couldn't find the three mile marker. Hmm. And so she's like, okay, I need to like regroup. So she sat down. She's like taking a break. And she was sitting on one of those giant boulder things which is all throughout the park. And she was looking at her phone and looking at the information that the people gave her to try to figure out, you know, maybe where she was on the trail. Before she had left, just to kind of backtrack, she didn't tell anyone where she was going. She didn't share her itinerary. She, She didn't leave a note. 
because she was just by herself house sitting. So mm-hmm. I, I imagine she was just like, it's fine. I mean, yeah. I'm going for the day. No one needs to know. No big deal. And she's all about like, she's been looking forward to this hike. She wants to go mm-hmm. out and find herself. She just wants to be like on her own. She's a very independent person yeah. in the first place. And she just kind of wants to go do her thing. Kind of on the flip side of that, she's always on social media because she blogs and she always is taking pictures like travel pictures and yeah she's very active on like instagram and whatever she she is constantly on there just keeping up that's part of her job as a journalist right and also because she had hiked there before she didn't really think anything like it's not a big deal everything was fine and so she's like stopped on that boulder she's kind of like looking to where she's at and when she got up to kind of go again she stood up and most of her weight went on this huge boulder this rock but it gave way she said what happened over the next few seconds happened so fast Mm -hmm. like within a second that it was just done so her right foot slipped and every the the boulders gave way and her fingers like kind of scrambled like she was trying to like grab something to hold on to and then she was just airborne and then boom she landed on the ground and when she landed she heard a lot of cracking noises. oh god yeah she fell about 20 feet below the edge of the rock face 20 feet is it's like two stories if you fall two stories without because she was clamoring to grab something so she didn't mm-hmm. have herself in a position to land properly like, on her feet because right. it was so unexpected she just knows that she was falling and in her mind it was like oh god oh god oh god you know just like you know she wasn't prepared for that fall at all mm-hmm. and unfortunately she landed right on her tailbone on her left side of her pelvis took oh, the God. most of the impact and it shattered her tailbone and, and it disconnected. Because of that, she couldn't move. Uh, She couldn't even move. She couldn't even roll over. Oh, my God. And also later, she found out that she had a broken foot. I think one was broken and the other one was sprained. What she could see when she landed, when she kind of came to realize what had happened, is she looked up and then behind her was like the stack of boulders that she had fallen from. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of feet to her right was another like a high overhanging boulder. So she was kind of in like a crevice where she knew instantly like no one will see me in here not to mention the fact that she somehow got off the trail so right then she realized like she is majorly screwed she couldn't move at all it was can you i can't even imagine the pain that Mm -hmm. that would be but also she couldn't call her phone had no reception no she said she kept trying to call and it was just no connection nothing Mm -hmm. and so she was trying to go through it looking for an app or anything that might work as any kind of communication and the only thing that would still kind of work was her gps and her maps that were downloaded which showed her exactly where she was (laughs) and so and that's when she saw that she was way off the trail and so after that she started screaming out of just sheer like fear maybe fear and i think she was angry at herself she was frustrated she's like what oh my god like how did this even happen it happened so fast yeah You know, that all of a sudden, I mean, she's totally fine just hiking along, like doing her thing, a day hike. And all of a sudden she is now in a really bad situation. I can't imagine having your phone in your hand and you know, it's that thing that can connect you to like all of the world, but it just won't. Once she really could look at the map, she was off by like a mile. Oh, Like she got way off. It kind of reminds me of the Appalachian Trail. Mm-hmm. Um, that poor lady that got way off the trail somehow yeah. and could never Get find back her. on. Right. Mm-hmm. She realizes what a bad situation she's in and that nobody was going to be coming. So after she finished screaming for a while out of frustration, she's like, it just made me feel better at the moment. Probably she's in like the pain is setting in Mm -hmm. everything about the situation. She said she saw a a hawk circling above her and she was just like, great. Pretty soon I'm just going to be prey. Oh my God. I mean, she's just like, I'm. it's over. It's over. At the very beginning of her ordeal and you can go online and actually watch. I did watch the video a couple of them she started recording herself talking into the phone like i think she just wanted to document the situation because she's Mm -hmm. like well what if i die this is all that's left so at least they'll know what happened and so she's kind of talking about i'm here this is what happened i can't it's the sun is on me i'm in the spot nobody's gonna see me i'm way off the trail it's hot 
and she could hear all the crunching of her bones when she anytime she tried to move every time she tried to either get herself out of the sun or rolled over she would um, nearly pass out i think she may have even passed out at some point from the pain and yeah. The, yeah and she oh was worried if she kept doing that she may pass out and not wake up and it was super hot it's like 104 degrees that's 40 degrees ish Celsius. She was like, okay, well, there's a few things I got to do. Like I have to protect myself from the sun. And so she had that sunscreen and somehow she used her pole, one of her poles or both her poles to get sunscreen on her legs. Oh, because she's wearing shorts. Yes. Right. It's hot. Yeah. It's hot and she's wearing shorts. And then she also was able to get, use her pole and put, I think her hat and maybe a plastic bag or a shirt or something on it to hold it up over herself as like to make like a sunshade to keep her because the sun was just for the majority of the day it was just on her until it moved off and she knew that that was going to get her so she did have a little bit of water so she was slowly drinking her water and she also had a little small tylenol jar that was empty or it says jar but like a little container Mm -hmm. empty tylenol container even though it was very awkward and very painful she started urinating it and saving it I'm not sure how, but it does show in the video. She shows the urine in one of her bottles. So I'm pretty sure maybe she had like two bottles of water in one. She, you know, it's like once she finished the water, she started saving that in another bottle. And she said it really freaked her out because she could tell that the urine, it looked dark. Mm. And she was worried if there was blood in it and what if she ruptured her bladder or like, who knows? I don't know if initially she was thinking of drinking it. It's just that she didn't want to just like pee on herself. Yeah. And she didn't want to pee and like throw it somewhere because she was worried that it would attract something yes it would attract like animals oh man that's so smart yeah so that's why that was the main reason why she was collecting it i don't think at first i'm sure she was like i don't want to have to do that Mm -hmm. but i mean worse comes to worse as the day kind of crept through over the overhang and then eventually she got some shade. But the problem is, is now it's like getting dark mm-hmm. and she's like, oh God, I'm going to be sleeping out here. I can't move. I'm by myself. Who knows what comes out at Who night? Who knows what's going to come out at night? There's snakes, there's critters. I mean, it's just, there's so much stuff that freaked her out. She didn't want it, but she had to. And she said she hardly, like every little noise she heard. And she said at some point she heard a rattling sound. Oh no. And she was kind of like half in and out, like dozing in and out of sleep. And she heard a rattling. When she woke up, it was her teeth chattering because she was so cold. (sighs) Mm. I know. This kind of reminds me of Lost at Sea stories where it's like so hot in the daytime Mm -hmm. and so cold at night. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The desert. It's crazy like that. Day two. She made it through the night. Nothing got her. She said she must have fallen asleep eventually because at some point she woke up. The sun was coming out. So she was trying to ration her water as Mm -hmm. best as she could, but it was almost gone already because probably she was jamming through it while she was going. Like She was like halfway. She was getting to the halfway point. So I'm sure she was like, yeah, I'm good. I have enough, you know. I mean, we go on hikes here. We go to the field and stuff and I bring two water bottles and a camelback and I drink through more than half of that within like the first hour and a half. Totally. Because I don't even think about that I might need this later. I just drink it. You just drink it. Yeah. It's funny because she said that, you know, in the back of her mind, she was like recalling stories of people lost at sea (sighs) or lost in the jungle who would survive by drinking their urine. And she was like, isn't that right? Like you can drink urine. But (laughs) sure in her mind, she's like, you can or you should but how like how much how many times that's the question twice right well i think we figured out that mauro did it a bunch of times and had the kidney issues yeah and then the guy who was in the in the australian outback well you know, he, he had water, water yeah. so he was like good but yeah i think it's like you shouldn't do it very often did we kind of determine like twice? i think we were talking about yeah like twice through was probably i think we read it we looked it did up we? Well, anyway, twice, not thrice. But she was just kind of like, well, you know, this is the only option I have. So at some point when she ran out of water, and I don't know if this was on day two or day three, but she did end up drinking her urine slowly. She said she just pinched her nose and she she's like, it was like lukewarm. But I remember the guy, um, Ricky. Ricky Bobby? No, Ricky McGee. Bob, Ricky Bobby McGee. <laughs> remember he drained it from his underwear? Did he squeeze it out yes. of his underwear? So gross. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. 
And then yeah. he was like, I suggest you let it cool off a little before you drink <laughs> yeah. it. And I'm also like, and also suggest not draining it straight from your undies. Oh. Anyway, so she said it was pretty disgusting, bitter, acrid. I think she might be the first person to describe the flavor. Well, yeah, we haven't had a flavor description. description. Well, she also, she's, you know, she's blogging. She's yeah, like, this she's is... She's given all the info. Very bitter and very disgusting. But she was able to keep it down and that's all she needed. She mm-hmm. just needed something to make her mouth wet. So she had another night and then we're in day, day three now. So she's laying there holding the sunshade. If you watch the video, it's hard because she's just like, she starts breaking down, basically getting to where she's just like, goodbye. You know, mm-hmm. nobody's going to find me. She's like, I didn't tell anybody. My my only friends that kind of are keeping track are the ones I'm house sitting for. She's like, I don't know if, if they'll check on me. Like, I don't, nobody really knows what I'm up to. And she said that she thought of her friends and she would have given anything to be sitting around talking to them. She's like, just any stupid conversation. I don't care what. She just wanted more time. And she got really sad. She cried. She cries on the video. She was just like, now I'm really afraid. She's like, now I really feel like I'm going to die. Because she was getting really dehydrated. She was very tired. And oh, by the way, the first day, I think at the end of the first day, her phone died completely. But she had a camera that I think she was using also to to film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she said for some reason, like that helped her. It made her feel connected to something. Yeah. Even though there's nobody on the other end receiving it, but she felt like it just helped her to talk and connect. And I think that on the third day, her battery in the camera died. And she was trying to do a little bit at a time, I think, to not drain it completely right away. But yeah. she said that when it did die, the phone died. I mean, the phone first and then, but when the camera died, she felt so completely alone because she's just laying there with herself. <sighs> I know, it's rough. And imagine the pain of having a shattered pelvis. I just Not can't. being able to move? Oh. Yeah, she said that the pain, it consumed her. Like she felt it in her bones and her skin. It spread into her sides. Her kidneys were starting to hurt. And then we just, you know, she said it was just overworked. Imagine recycling urine. Just terrible. She said her mouth had, she, she describes it as turning into straw. Her lips were sticking to her gums, her tongue. And you can tell by the end when she's even still filming herself that it's like, she said she wasn't hungry. She said that was weird. It's just that she, I think she was really starting to kind of deteriorate. Yeah. She said she was drifting in and out like of consciousness mm. and things sounded muffled, not knowing when she was asleep or awake. So mm. everything's kind of starting to get really bad. Luckily, Claire's friends that she was house sitting for were probably like, let's check in on our cats. And so they're in Scotland, all the way in Scotland, and they tried to call claire because they noticed like she hadn't been posting anything for a couple of days and they're like that's weird Mm -hmm. i mean usually we see her posting things and they also probably just wanted to check in and see how things were at the house with their animals when they couldn't reach her they got concerned so they called some other friends that live nearby to go check the house and go check on her and make sure she was okay and everything was okay and so her friends got there and they're like her car's not here. It seems like nobody's been here. The cat box is full of poops. Like, <laughs> the cats are freaking out. The cats are hungry. And I don't remember if there was some indication that she had gone to uh, Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she had talked about it or if she left something on the computer or out again, like that right. she was going to go. But they knew that they needed to go call search and rescue. This was already on the fourth day of her ordeal. They found her car parked at the trailhead right after that a helicopter search began. And they almost didn't find her because she was... As she said, she was too small of a thing and too large of a place. It was like finding a needle in a haystack. And it was just like she was also in that little crevice. Yeah, between the boulders. So it was just going to be really hard. And so she's like totally out of it at this point. Mm -hmm. Like she's nearly dead from just dehydration and exposure. Who knows all of her injuries and things. And so she said she heard a noise and her brain was like, it's a coyote. (laughs) And then she heard like a voice and she's like, wow, the coyote's like talking to me. (laughs) 
she was like, is this real? Like, what is that noise? It's yeah. like, do I hear something? Do I not hear something? And then she realized that she actually heard somebody shout and they were saying, we're looking for a lost hiker. And it was coming from a helicopter. Right then, her heart started racing. And she's like, oh, they're looking for a lost hiker. I wonder if it's me. <laughs> like She was like, wait a second. Are they looking for me? Could it be me? Like she was, I feel like I would have thought the same thing. Yeah. I'd been like, am I the lost hiker? Is it me? And so she grabbed her sunshade. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it already had a plastic bag on it or not, but she was just like waving it and they actually saw it. So oh they God. caught like the tiniest glimpse of something moving oh my God. and because they had passed over like several times mm-hmm. and they went back and they called down to her because she was like screaming. Of course, they can't hear that. She's like, I'm you know, and like trying to yell. They left and came back. She said it could have been five minutes, could have been 20 minutes. She doesn't know. But when they came back, they were like, we see you and we're going to come get you. Oh, my God. Finally, in one of these stories, I feel like all all the time we talk about people in these situations and it's like the helicopter came or the plane drove by, you know, flew by. And it was just like, oh, there's no one here. And you're just like, (laughs) so luckily, I mean, imagine out there in that vast desert seeing her little thing moving. That's like really good on the helicopter, guys. Yeah. Search and rescue. They should be trained to see like little things like that, you know. She had been found after four days and three nights laying in the desert with a broken freaking pelvis Jesus, and a broken foot. After they rescued her, of course, she had a long recovery ahead of her. What's crazy, because she had to learn to walk again. Mm -hmm. She had like multiple surgeries. She had a lot of hospital time. And the crazy thing is, is all that insurance that she got from Canada and the US, they wouldn't cover it. (gasps) And I don't know the circumstances behind it. All I know is that she had to set up a GoFundMe page Mm. and she was just so bummed she's in so much pain her mom flew out to from new zealand to stay with her and help her but it was just like that and then here's all these this crazy hospital costs Mm -hmm. and then her recovery afterwards and the insurance just failed the u.s man i feel like that's the thing there's so many like little clauses in there if you fall um into some water you're okay but if you fall off a boulder we don't cover that (laughs) so yeah what i kind of like about this story is that sometimes you set out to find yourself Mm -hmm. and something insane happens which is not at all what you expected right not at all what you wanted but somehow it makes all the difference in the long run yeah yeah on how you choose to live your life and that's what happened to claire so before all this it was a con she says a combination of fear and failure and a healthy dose of imposter syndrome I guess she was always avoiding to apply for jobs because she thinks she wasn't good enough. And that's what she means by imposter syndrome. Yeah, I can. I feel that. In our field, you always feel like, well, I didn't publish enough papers or I didn't do enough fields research. You know, I'm not good mm-hmm. enough or I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and nobody don't, likes don't, me. Nobody likes me. <laughs> she really doubted herself. She said she always procrastinated over like some goals she had to write a book, to mm-hmm. do some of the things. And it was just like she was trapped with anxiety and fear, which is hello, everyone. And that was why she would even make excuses like not to go on dates. I'm looking <laughs> at Megan and smiling. Whatever. So it was like in her personal life and in her work life. Mm -hmm. And so she said she spent so much time being afraid that it was just kind of built into her life. When this thing happened and she was truly afraid to lose her life, it made all that other stuff seem like small potatoes. Yeah, that level of fear has to be, oh, shit. Yeah. This is actual fear. This is actual fear. This Mm -hmm. is actually I'm going to die. All that other stuff is just silly now. She said that she felt like she also had wasted so much time on social uh, social media and the internet distracting herself. Right. From real interactions and real relationships with people. Man, I feel that. And she always wanted to, you know, try new things or meet new people. But it was that fear keeps you on social media. It's a measure of avoidance. But the crazy thing is, is that little twist that social media is what helped get her found. She was always on social media. And because she wasn't, they're like, where is she? So that's the only way she was rescued. One of her big messages, which I feel like we say this in all of our episodes, she wants to make sure everyone knows, freaking tell somebody where you're going. (laughs) 
Yeah. Just make sure you tell someone where you're going. Also, she wants everyone to know that she's grateful for what she learned from falling. She said it was an awful experience, but in the end, it was profoundly life-changing in a very positive way. Mm -hmm. It didn't magically cure everything or cure her, but it did stop her. She stops and like thinks about all those, you know, when that anxiety starts to come back or those fears. She's like, no, not today. (laughs) Not going to get me. She also says that years later, she can, she'll still watch the, the video footage that she made, but she feels like disconnected. Like it's just another, it's like her old self. And now she's worked really hard to like open up to people and try new things. Like this past May, she published her first book. Shut the front door. It's called Things I Learned from Falling. Oh. So it was released in May. It's available on Audible. Oh. And actually, she narrates it. I oh, listened to cool. a little bit. I listened to the sample and she sounds great. Yeah. So all the interviews I've seen from I me, mean, she's a journalist. Mm-hmm. So she's that's what she's trained to do. Yeah. But when you do listen to her on interviews or and there's a lot of, out there with her, she's very well spoken. She's very articulate and mm-hmm. she's great to listen to. She tells a great story. That's cool. She got really good reviews on her book. She says, so she learned so much. And in that way, she made more connections with people. And the connections I already have are so much stronger now. That's great. She learned a lot, even from a terrible experience, which I feel like most people do. So the organization that I think we should support is Mm -hmm. the Joshua Tree National Park Association. It's at joshuatree.org. They have been supporting programming at Joshua Tree National Park since 1962. I know with refuges, and I think it's the same with national parks, like because they're a federal agency, they cannot get, receive donations or, you know, have charitable things. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, there's a lot of limitations. Mm-hmm. So they usually have like a friends group or some other organization that works alongside with them. Yeah, like Katmai uh, Nature Conservancy or yep. whatever. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. So, and they'll be the ones to kind of run maybe the visitor's center like sell mm-hmm. things because federal agencies can't sell t-shirts and mugs no, and stuff. <laughs> exactly so usually they're they're whatever their uh, nonprofit they work with does all that so that's what they do they um, are their nonprofit partner they operate the four visitor center park stores I love gift shops. I'm just a sucker for anything, <laughs> especially like refuges or national parks. Like, mm-hmm. forget it. I'm, I'm buying stuff. And they also offer like field classes taught by experts, oh, um, cool. expert biologists and whatever science or cultural Which history. Which we are now since you taught us all about Josh- uh, Joshua Tree. Yes. Yeah. We could do that. Totally. I'll be like, um, I'm here to take out um, the class in the field. They're like, who are you again? I'm like, I'm a raptorist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm an expert. I know all about uh, Joshua Trey. But they also raise funds via donations and a membership program. So you can become a member. Oh, cool. Or yeah. just give straight donations. And all the links for all that stuff will be in the show notes, cool, which cool, I cool. realize show notes aren't our actual notes. They're just links. Yeah. <laughs> took me a while to figure that out. I was That's like, enough. what does this show notes mean? I was like, I'm not giving my notes. They're a mess. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that story, Megan. Another urine drinking story for you, for everyone. A uh, little bonus, bonus urine drinking for our patrons. I really did enjoy that. Um, I'm glad. So if you, when you go to Joshua Tree National Park and decide to do a hike to Hidden Valley Ranch, do (laughs) what will you pack in your emergency preparedness kit definitely some salad dressing (laughs) 100 percent. yeah jen i'm you know what i'm thinking there's like obvious things we always talk about the obvious things one being a satellite phone yes uh that's gonna get you way more connection than just your regular it only costs like a dollar a second it's fine it's fine (laughs) it's worth it but I think that, well, number one, me being a person who's conscious of the sun mm-hmm. always, because uh, I burn sometimes. Yes. Uh, and just listening to her going through what she went through just to put the lotion on her body. It puts the lotion <laughs> on the stick. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, God, that I was like, sucks. how did that work? Yeah. But, I mean. Does she doesn't... have like streaks from the stick? Is it That's just what like... I feel like. I feel like you'd have some streakage. Yeah. Um. Like it wouldn't I think, get full coverage. Right. I think you need full body coverage clothing. I mean, personally, you do I don't anyway. hike. I do that anyway. Yeah. I always wear long sleeve, like turtleneck. <laughs> Big hat. <laughs> like, like, you know, leggings all the way. I, I don't buy those like three quarter length le- leggings. Yeah. I get the ones that go all the way down to I, the I get the three ankles. quarter and then I have like the line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely some full 
body coverage, clothing. Of course. Um, and then included in that would be some butt pads. So oh, 100%. When I played Derby, there were some people who had butt pads. And we would kind of make fun of them because it's not as like hardcore. But if you're going to be hiking and you might fall. But if fall, you don't have like a... Like, if you don't have a lot of, like, extra on your butt, yeah, you need that extra. You need a little extra. Yeah. Just a little extra. Just say, I, I agree. A lot extra padding. Yeah. I'm thinking, like... Like, obscene amounts of like padding? Like, two to three inches. Butt pads and full body coverage. Butt, butt pads. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that seems the safest. I like it. Add it to the list. Put it in the kit. And also, I like learning about Joshua trees. Now I know more about them. Too bad she didn't have a Joshua tree right there next to her she could just, like, eat off of. Because I'm sure if I it's a succulent... They said that it's not really good pieces. for people to oh. eat. Oh, okay. Well. But animals like it. I mean, hmm. the moths like it. Man, too bad there wasn't Tylenol in that Tylenol bottle she well, had. Well, I was wondering if maybe she already ate it and drank it down with some water. Mm-hmm. And then that's why it was empty. Because if you're going hiking, you wouldn't take like a full bo- bottle of anything. You know, it'd just be like, well, if I get a headache, I'm going to take a few. Right? I totally have a full bottle of Advil in my in my little hiking pack because I, I think about it a lot. <laughs> I hate getting post-hike headaches. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the worst. And it's like, I like I said, I hydrate a lot. Yeah. But, but I they, always but I always hot. get a weird Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's like a heat headache yeah, or something. I get those sometimes. So I always like pop some Advil on the way out. So you can survive. Yeah. So that I can go home and be able to do laundry. <laughs> well, patrons, I hope you enjoyed yes. that episode that was just for you and no one else. Yeah. And we thank you for your support, as always. And if you have any story ideas... Send them in. Yeah. I mean, we're going to start thinking about July. It's already July, but we're going to start thinking about the <laughs> July episode. It's going to be Megan. So if you have something mm. that you want, really want to hear about... Yeah. Us, you know, throw know. some ideas. Maybe we'll put a post out about it on our Patreon. All right. Well, thank you, Jen, for a great story. And until next time. Don't die out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.